Well, if you're anything like me, you read the title of this podcast episode and thought, what the heck is robot theology? Up until very recently, I had no idea that that was even a thing, that it was an area of study, but apparently it really, really is. And the more that I got to talking with Dr. Joshua K. Smith in this episode, and even before it, as I was diving into some of the books that he's written, I realized that this is actually a really, really important area of philosophy, of study. It's a, it's a very, very important area for us to understand because robotics and artificial intelligence and things of that nature have already had such a profound impact on our lives, and that's not stopping anytime soon, obviously, and it's just going to continue to impact our lives in really deeper and deeper ways. And so we, in this podcast episode, Dr. Joshua K. Smith really helps us to have a very interesting and unique conversation. He has a really interesting and I think uh, nuanced perspective on how the people of God should respond to this growing trend and the changes in technology and questions like, you know, how should we treat robots and things of that nature that really, at the end of the day, and I was surprised by this, but but the, the more and more that I talked with Josh and the more that I um, read a lot of the work that he's put out there, the more I realized that uh, these conversations really do have a lot of implications for us uh, theologically, ethically, morally. And so I think that this is an important conversation. We kind of scratched the surface on it, even though we did almost 90 minutes. There is still so much more, so many more questions that I didn't even have a chance to ask. And so I've already talked to Dr. Josh and he's going to be back on and we're going to go a little bit deeper and probably a little bit darker into some of the other areas of study here. And so anyway, I, I really think this is an interesting conversation. It's a unique conversation, one that I, I haven't had a conversation like this before. And so I was really, really excited. I'm excited that you're here and I'm just pumped that I get to share this with you. Dr. Joshua K. Smith really, really really knows his stuff, and uh, I really think you're going to, to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into it. All right. Hey, guys, welcome to this episode of Real Live Talk. Really, really appreciate you guys for taking the time to check out this episode. Uh, if you like the content, if it blesses you, challenges you, makes you think or anything like that, if you'd consider subscribing, sharing or leaving a review, that would be incredibly helpful. And I would really, really appreciate that. So thank you guys so much in advance. I'm stoked that you're here to check out today's conversation with my guest, Dr. Joshua K. Smith. Uh, Dr. Joshua is a pastor and theologian researching AI and robotic ethics from a Christian perspective. Uh, he's the author of Robotic Persons, Our Future with Social Robots, as well as Robot Theology, Old Questions Through New Media. Uh, Dr. Joshua, thank you, man, for, uh, for being here. I appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks, Duke. And you can just call me Josh, by the way. Okay, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so, that's, good to, that's good to know. That's yeah. good to know. I, we go like Dr. Reverend, Pastor, you know, we can, yeah. we can go. We can it's go weird. Of different it's weird. Like, there, just, <laughs> just Josh, man. Like, that's just me. It's it's still weird when people call you doctor. I'm like, that, oh, you mean me? I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny. It's funny how, you know, in our concept of of people that are doctors is, you know, mm -hmm. we were just talking a second ago. We just talked for 10, 15 minutes about video games. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, by the way, doctor, uh, how about that new <laughs> RPG? It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. Yeah, I'm still yeah, not cool. used to it. And uh, in my context, uh, where I'm, you know, 95% of the time pastor or brother really is what they call me. And uh, mm. so it's just 
it's just very different, you know, to kind of put on these different hats and it's fun. Uh, but in my, in my real life, so, so to speak, in, uh, my daytime job, I'm just brother Josh or, or Josh. So, yeah. So man, well, I'm fascinated to know how you got involved in this world of researching mm -hmm. AI and robotics and all of that. So uh, it's interesting because, um, I, I guess, I, I think you have a background in that area, but, um, you're also a pastor. And so, yeah, yeah. I'm just curious about how all this came about. Yeah, well, I mean, probably most computer scientists and engineers wouldn't say Josh has a background in some of this stuff, but uh, but as far as like practical experience, yes, I do. Uh, I know I don't have a degree in engineering or computer science, but um, mm -hmm. I, I this world kind of found me early on, and most of us in these circles were interested in science fiction, and uh, you know, we were nerds before it was cool type mm -hmm. thing. Like, yeah, man. It's 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 mainstream now, but you know, back when I was in high school and stuff, I got picked on, and you know, like it was not cool to to read comic books and all this stuff. Now it's like all mainstream, so I got a little yeah. bit like chip chip on my shoulder about that. But um, I got into robotics specifically in high school during what well, we used to have Votech. I don't know if a lot of schools have that anymore, uh, but vocational where you learn like hands-on trade, and one of them was for you know, computer science type stuff. We did networking, we did programming. Um, we did uh, like everything on the spectrum that you could think about. Um, and one of those was robotics. And so hmm. there's a, a large um, car manufacturing plant here, just up the road. Um, I mean, massive factory, 90% robots, something like that. I mean, it's just a lot of robots. And wow. one of the things that we got to do uh, for those of us who are interested is after school, once a week, we go spend several hours there learning how to program uh, these massive robotic arms. And, and so I was just fascinated by it. And um, I spent a lot of time after school doing that and, you know, got certificates through Nissan and different things. And uh, this was way before like steam is like built up the way that it is now. Um, so I wanted to do that more and, um, I, I was a terrible student in high school. I just didn't have the grades or, you know, didn't have the, uh, family income to afford, mm. uh, college. And so that really wasn't an option for me, like to go to the schools that had those programs. Um, and so the military recruited pretty hard during that time and uh, I got sucked into it just because I wanted to go to college. I mean, nobody in my family mm. did. For me, it was a way out. And so I sold my soul in a sense to do that, you know, doing a lot of boring things, nothing exciting in my career. Like, you know, I wasn't like an operator or anything like that. And I had a desk job, but we, one of the things that we did was um, observation and intel. And uh, we had different missions. We worked with the White House and Secret Service. Um, it sounds a lot more interesting than it really was, you know, just watching, <laughs> just watching screens. Cool. Yeah, it sounds like, cool, right? Like, on this paper. is really boring. We were doing this operational stuff. We were working with the White yeah. House. Anyway. Well, yeah. you spend eight hours looking at a screen and nothing yeah. happens. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, yeah. that's a lot of what it is. So anyway, we got to work with the system, uh, the failing system, and you can Google that, the CRAM, um, it's a system that was attached to battleships, and um, it looks like R two D two basically is what we, what I like to reference is so 
R2D2 is, you know, it, like you'll see the phalanx. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense, Josh. But anyway, it was a counter rocket and mortar system and uh, just really, really neat. Yeah, I'm looking at a picture of it. Yeah, it's really neat. Um, terrifying thing to hear go off because it's like all the the air around you just like it sounds like it's just being ripped in part. But mm. um, so, yeah, I got to work with that system um, a little bit and we deployed with it and uh, we're actually a part of the team that, you know, was training the State Department to take it over and they were like, no, we're good. <laughs> at, the really? of, at, yeah, at the end of the Iraq war, they came in and they were like, nah, we're not doing this. And um, um, I got out like, of it. This thing looks pretty big. How, how big is this thing? Massive, massive, yeah. And does it um, does it move? It, it... it has a mount and it can spin okay. 360 degrees. It can go all the way up. All the you know, It's not going to go down, but there's a certain axis that it'll go to. And uh, it, you know, can self-identify these targets. Um, now mm. there's a human in the loop, right, on the loop, right? So it has right, to have right, a right. human, but it can, uh, and it does very well at identifying these targets and mm. uh, engaging them. So it's really, really uh, life-saving technology. And uh, I do, I did sneak out a piece of a rocket that uh, <laughs> <laughs> that we shot down. And I was like, Anyway, that's a different story, but I smuggled yeah. that back in, and uh, I keep it as a memento uh, for that time. And mm. I got out, and um, I wanted to study theology after my time in the military. I went to the ministry, and I did nothing with robots for, I, I mean, a good while. I mean, it wasn't until 2016 I started picking up uh, the study of philosophy and um Mm. really artificial intelligence is where it started and um and then i I wanted to 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 write more about it and so i finally had kind of the background to the philosophical and theological background to kind of explore some of these topics which are much religious like it's it's couched in a religious context even though a lot of people in the uh, computer science engineering wouldn't say that there's anything religious about it but it really once you start looking into some of the questions that it asks, I mean, it's very much a thing and, and that's becoming more prominent now. And so um, wow. I'm a part of that. And um, I initially just wanted to do a study of automated warfare, autonomous warfare, um, lethal autonomous weapon systems, kind of like as a one-off directed reading with a professor in my doctoral program. And it really kind of pushed me into the field and I wasn't planning to do that. And that, that's a lot of people's story with this stuff is that you, uh, you start studying it and you maybe write a paper on it or something and then you kind of get sucked into it because it's, it's one of those things where there's just, it's a lot of new material. Uh, it's an un, unexplored space really. Um, and so it kind of gives you a chance to, to push into some of the subject matter, but also kind of help people see the concerns that we should have about it and it's not what you think type thing you know it's it's Mm. it can be very harmful even when it's dumb and not um complex like you see in science fiction so it's it's nothing like that at all and even like even the actual you know in the trenches type stuff it has more to do with like boring legal arguments and that type of stuff but that that's where the real harm happens 
and um, and it's it's to me it's not boring, but you know some of the stuff if you you say AI and robotics and it's like ooh this this is interesting, but then when I start talking, you know, you start to see the, the eyes glaze over and you get into the actual <laughs> philosophical arguments because I love this stuff, you know, and, um, but it's a lot to do with quantum physics and a lot to do with, um, mathematical models and, and all mm. this stuff. But that's not the exciting part. The exciting part is when it starts, you know, being pushed into applications and then those applications start making odd decisions about, uh, whose application are we going to take? Well, this name sounds non-white, so we're not going to take that. Or, you know, how is mm. this how is this um, system ranking credit scores? Or, you know, like it's all fascinating stuff. And even with social media in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of concern about how your algorithms are, you know, selecting which tweet or post to show or how it's manipulating this right. behavior for this outcome and you know all that stuff is hidden from us as the public and you know we don't we don't know but we we do understand that this data is very important and very expensive um and so people are using it to to nudge us to uh, push us and guide us and even even good applications like the bible app it is used as a model of how to build an addictive platform so hmm. i think that's fascinating to me and, and well wow. all of, all of that ethical stuff is is kind of where you know i i like to jump in and kind of help either people in the local church understand it um I, I know they don't care about the 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 complex parts of it and the technical pieces mm-hmm. um i think it's important to understand too because you know more as more Christians and theologians and philosophers get into these spaces, you know, we kind of have to speak the language, so to speak, and we have yeah. to kind of understand what's actually happening in these models. But for the public, I mean, you don't have to understand that. You just you just need to understand that there are complications and uh, complexities to the technologies that you use, and uh, and we need to kind of ask, you know, using our own biblical worldview and and, and rationalism, why. Why we allow some of these technologies to and, and integrate into our life, and how they are shaping us, uh, and how they are molding and developing our minds. And so, and for for good or for bad, right? It can, it can be a two way street. It can be good. Sorry, dude, that was a long answer. <laughs> no, it's cool. It's it's just like as as you're talking, so many of the questions are coming up in my mind. You know, you you so based on on what you just said. Do you think so? You talked about you know the the Bible app, for example, and kind of modeled around this this thing that that uh, can really kind of produce addictive behavior in people and, and things like that. So, I think a lot of what this comes down to when we're talking about robotics and we're talking about a lot of these advancements in, in technology, the way that we use our phones, the way that we do all these different things that we do in life, where we are engaging with technology. At, at what point? I mean, is it is it just that? Uh, what am I trying to say? This stuff in our hands can be a tool, obviously, for good. And we can do mm-hmm. a lot of good with these things. And, and they can really provide a lot of benefit to our lives and enrich our lives in a lot of ways. But, of course, the tendency of human beings is always to take things too far and to mm-hmm. abuse things and to the point where things do become addictive and where things do just kind of tend to spiral down a path of just going darker and darker darker 
um, and just going into places that is unhealthy behavior, right? And mm -hmm. so I, I guess as far as just like the, um, what are some of the, um, it, this is too broad of a question, tell me and I'll try to rephrase it, but what <laughs> are okay. some of the moral and ethical implications when it comes to, um, you know, engaging with this world of AI and robotics and um, as far as the way that we interact with machines and th that, you know, obviously this stuff is only going to increase more and more as we go forward. Maybe we should even, I don't know if you feel like it's necessary. I know you did this in your book and it was helpful to me as I was reading it. You, you defined robots and AI, which seems like a really basic place to start, but to, to make sure that everybody's on the same page, maybe we could, um, if you could, you know, help us out with yeah. that first of all, and then mm -hmm. maybe start to, you know, get into some of this, this stuff on some of the moral and ethical implications of, you know, partnering with robots and, and as robots and, and yeah. artificial intelligence become more and more infused into our lives, um, you know, what, what are some mm -hmm. of the things that we think that we see happening and that we, we see that could happen both good and bad. Yeah. So anyway, that was a, that was a loaded thing right there, but no, it's good. <laughs> um, you know, to go, the first part of the question is, you know, how do we define these systems and, and what are they? And, you know, that's the, what is a very important question. And uh, I think simply AI is, is just something that makes predictions and, you know, it's predicting. So you give it, these are the things we look for, things that we want to see you find, you find uh, patterns, make predictions. Okay. Um, and so that is a very simple AI, right? It can, um, inputs and outputs is the gist mm -hmm. of it. And, um, and say, okay, well, people are okay with that, right? It's like, it's just simple math, probability, whatever. But, and this will be the second part of the question, um, and we'll do the same for robots, is that that sounds okay on paper, but what happens when we use that program? For example, there's one called uh, Skynet. Uh, it's kind of a moniker, but um, basically it's it's used to produce... Is it really called Skynet? Yes, yes. Yeah, it's, that's its nickname. That's amazing used for is to determine um, civilian casualties in drone strikes or mm. you know so um, basically say we want to you know do a strike um, we would use this you know mathematical model to say okay is it going to be under 30 percent for this strike excuse me and if it's yes then you know we have approval from the chain of command to do the strike so 30 under 30 percent we're good so now we're using that to say, okay, I'm, I'm justified in this action. All those things that the human operator would think about and you know, would be morally hurt and injured by that piece of math, you know, basically um, those inputs and outputs, it doesn't care about those things. Mm. And so that, that's a lot of harm that has been done. And when we're talking about eight to, depending on how you do the estimates, between eight to 16,000 women and children who have been a, a mass casualty of, of these strikes across wow. Yemen, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iraq, and, and other places. And so, you know, that to, at the forefront of it, you're like, oh, okay, well, it's, you know, it's just math. Okay, well, math can be very destructive in the wrong hands. And we've, we've known this way wow. before AI, you know, um, and robots to me are, they're just the, the embodiment of those models. 
And so the drone, uh, the Roomba, those type of things. Now, Roombas aren't using advanced AI or anything like that, but they could, right? And it just mm -hmm. depends on you know, how we want that system to be embodied and how it's going to use those mathematical models uh, for yeah. good or for destruction. And so, and I think it can be very, depending on the context of um, the system and it, if it's encoded to have uh, an ethical standard, which they at some level will, um, and people argue that it can't, but of course it can. And, you know, of course, that, that system, Skynet, it, it is, you know, operating under a just war mindset. It's under, operating under that this is okay to even exist. So there are all these ethical, um, you know, that are built into these systems. And not only that, but the data sets that we give them, they're also based on, you know, a system that we made. Um, and so right. in a lot, in a lot of ways, you know, I, there, there was a, a philosopher, uh, Marshall McLuhan, uh, very famous in, in this world, um, who said that essentially, um, technology is an extension of man, right? It yes. is an extension of mm -hmm. us. And I agree with that. Um, uh, but I also think that, uh, another philosopher, Martin Heidegger also said that technology is also an, inv uh, a frame Okay, so it's it's mm -hmm. how we view the world. Uh, it's it, and this is this is where the religious part of it comes in for me, is that based on my worldview, whether I'm a materialist, you know, um, I don't believe in anything immaterial, and you know, we're just a big clump of neurons and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever your worldview is, you're going to encode that into the systems that you build, and and that has massive implications for how it's used in the real world, uh, how it collects data, you know, whether it, um, I mean, just, there's just yeah. so many things like how it, yeah. you know, is used to, um, is it helping the marginalized or not? Is it environmentally helpful or not? You know, is it, how much electricity are we using to, to make these products? And mm. it's like the, the Nissan factory down the road, you know, how many people, and I know, like a lot of people, are worried about will a robot take my job. It's not so much that that we should be worried about. It's more so like will the robot repurpose me in my job? And I I see this clearly, like with the Nissan, with with Walmart now. They're they're trying to automate their factories. They just signed a massive contract. Um, Amazon's been doing this for a long time, and you hear the stories of what it's work in those environments. And these these are massive employers right and mm -hmm. so if nissan or amazon or whoever comes into your town and builds a factory it's going to help your economy right you you're not going to be like no we don't especially in a small town like this um and, and even in the factories here you know the people are treated like machines they're expected mm -hmm. to work long hours there's incentives to not take breaks to get that overtime and and i look around as a pastor uh, and a theologian, I'm like, hey, you know, you can't work like a machine. You, right. You're going, you're going to get sick. Uh, you have a family to take care of, and you know, what good is it if you have all the money in the world, right? But you are just completely depleted in your soul, and yeah. you, you know. And so, I think for me, that is also a reality that needs to come into the discussion um, because I see a lot of materialism in it. There's just so much, mm -hmm. like you yep. know, we're 
Um, and there's these assumptions behind uh, the computer science and the engineering that there's so many theological assumptions about what the human is and what the robot is not. And it's between, okay, a robot is not a human. It's just a machine. But I think in some ways that's true. In some ways it's untrue because mm-hmm. in a lot of ways in modernity, we, we do treat each other like machines. <laughs> and, you know, and I think in some ways we need to, if, if we want to use that language, like recode how we interact with each other. And I do think robots uh, can be a way for us to to do that. And we're, it's going to be a massive endeavor. Um, but robots are also revealing. It reveals it's the quickest way to get to someone's philosophy and uh, their theology, even if they say they're yes. not inclined, you know. And, um, and I think people are comfortable saying yes or no to that in a way that they wouldn't be, say, with um, a fetus or an unborn child. Right. You know, like, those, for us, because it has so much um, emotional baggage with it, we were a little bit more cautious about what we say, or maybe be just, you know, full-on yes or no. But for the most part, I think people, there's there's a lot of nuance and subtlety. As we're, uh, if, we, if we got a bunch of, uh, computer scientists together and said, "Can a robot ever be a human person?" They would no, or you know, "Can a robot ever right. feel pain?" No, and right. there are these massive, uh, to use a big word, metaphysical assumptions that mm-hmm. are not yep. substantiated. Right, and their worldview, <laughs> like, like you can't, you can't do that, and um, got to, we got to unpack that a little bit together, and, and yeah. so I think that's. Even just with you know going back to the definitions, there's a lot of uncertainty and debate about what is AI, and I don't even really care anymore. I don't care what you <laughs> want to define it as. I don't. I don't care. Um, I'm more concerned about the the latter part of the question, where what are the implications of this yeah. technology? I don't care if it's this or not. I don't care if it has emotions and feelings. Um, and even with animals and stuff, you know, like who cares if it has a soul? Like, I'm, I'm, there's no way I'm going to prove or disprove that. And like, but should I go out and kick my dog because that's, you know, indeterminate? Right. No, like right. I mean, no. heavens no. Like, <laughs> should we just like mass murder deer? I mean, no, we shouldn't do no. those things. Um, and I'm, I'm not. That's not a. That's not saying I'm anti-hunting or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. Sure, so sure. For, I get what for, you're saying. For, but yeah. you know, there should there should be a branch called animal yeah. ethics, and we should think about how we farm and and all those things. And so, sorry, yeah. No, no, you're good, man. And and I, you know, as I was uh, starting to to read your books and and everything, and and as I um, I, you know, kind of contacted you and just mm-hmm. said, hey, would you be on the podcast? Because this is something that prior to discovering who you who you were i didn't really know um anything about this other than you know what i mean like what everybody knows Mm -hmm. about it (laughs) but it's fascinating to me that okay so first of all the fact that you are i imagine there aren't a whole lot of people approaching this conversation from a theological perspective 
And so I love I love the fact that um, that you're that you're doing this. And also, you know, considering the ethic, I'm sure there's more people that approach mm -hmm. this conversation from an ethical and a moral standpoint, but particularly from a theological standpoint. And uh, and I know you incorporate, um, you know, all of those areas. And that's, mm -hmm. that's something that I think is is really, really important. But like, you know, a couple months ago, me thinking about this conversation, if I heard the term robot theology, I'd be like, <laughs> what? Like that was right completely over yeah. my head. But as I'm reading, as I'm reading your books and, and, you know, hearing a little bit more about these things, it's like the, the more that I, un, that I, that I hear, the more that I understand about it, the more I begin to realize that this does have theological and ethical and moral mm. implications. And particularly like one of the things that you were just talking about, the robots themselves, <clears throat> and right now they may be in a, um, still somewhat of a primitive phase. Mm. If we, you know, if I could use, use that word, I mean, definitely advancing and, and, um, I mean, I, I think things have advanced incredibly in the past five to 10 years, and we can talk about that as well. But of course, things are always they're getting more and more realistic and more and more, you know, all these things mimicking more and more like human yeah. behavior and um, all this kind of stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. But they're not they're not conscious. I, right. I'm, am I right about that? <laughs> that I mean, I, I think I, I'm so assuming here's, here's the thing on consciousness. But yeah, yeah. That I mean, you. There's just so many big philosophical debates within this discussion. Like, it's just so overwhelming, uh, Duke. I mean, you know, when you step into this field, you're really stepping into of, uh, all of the, the major conversations of, of humanity. And, and not just that, but like all, all the philosophy behind it. It's extremely complex. And then, and then you open up um, pathways in, in neuroscience and major assumptions about the brain and uh, whether mm. whether or not, you know, we're, we're simply physical entities or whether or not we have the capacity to be an immaterial mind. And there's just so many things um, that are, are not ironclad. Right. And this, this is what I talk about when I talk about assumptions, right? You know, like we say it's not conscious. Um, what is consciousness? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you, you yeah. start to, you start to get into these things where, um, and it's not encouraging, by the way, because you have major major philosophers in philosophy of your mind who would say, "Well, yes, but no," or "No, definitely never," and "Or definitely yes," and you're like, "Am I crazy in some of this stuff?" Yeah, right. And yeah, a little bit, but <laughs> yeah. But I do I do think it's. It's more than possible, and I do think there are systems out there that, even if they're not, they will fool you. And if it's enough to fool you, mm -hmm. that's that's enough for consideration. Because right, you know, if and people have done experiments where they um, they know the system is not conscious, but it still has a moral effect to you. So if your Roomba. Right. Um, if you're, there's people that have taken the Roomba and made it to where every time it hits the bumper, it says, ouch, or curses or whatever. Like you, you can't, you can't <laughs> just adorable. keep doing that. You can't like people have tried and it just, it just, it, it's funny at first, but then after a while it bothers you. Like hearing mm. a child cry. Um, you can't just, that's torture, right? That's how well, I know. I know people, people I know, I know people that are attached to their Roomba. Like I know, I know people that talk, oh, yeah. that, have that, that talk to their, to their Roomba and it's, 
it's like a little pet. It's like a you know, it's become it is. almost mm-hmm. almost part of the family and it's mm-hmm. obviously not like they they know that it's not actually <laughs> <laughs> interacting yeah. with them, but it's just there. I mean, it's interesting when you watch those little things just kind of just kind of go through the house and you know, there's some level of intelligence there because they sure. Yeah. Because it, mm-hmm. it, it knows where to go and not to go or when it needs to back up or, you know what I mean? Like it does this. It's all programming, of course. Um, it's not intrinsic intelligence, but it's but they, you know, it's it's but it's still because it's it's there. It's with you all the time. There is a level of attachment, I think, that forms mm-hmm. with some people. So <laughs> yes. where, where I was going with that question is like whether or not the whether or not the robots are, are conscious or not. Um I would say that our actions, the way that we interact and the way that we treat robots um, Hmm. doesn't necessarily place any kind of, you know, moral or ethical implications on them. Or or in other words, um, me abusing a robot, for example, like me kicking my Roomba or, Mm -hmm. you know, if it's something more realistic, like a like a C-3PO type thing where it's more like humanoid looking. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that probably affects us a little bit more because it's in our Mm -hmm. image, so to speak. Right. Yeah. But, but if I if I were to abuse a robot, if I were to take a baseball bat and and abuse and you know hit that robot in the head, or you know we get into some darker stuff and some mm-hmm. of the stuff that's going on in the world of like you know sex robots and things of that nature, right? But mm-hmm. if I'm gonna if I'm gonna mistreat or abuse something like this, that's a you know we've designed it. It's been created and designed by humans. We don't think that it's actually thinking for itself even though it kind of is but it's all just pro it's wires and it's programming and it's all that kind of stuff right <laughs> so yeah so me abusing the robot isn't necessarily affecting the robot like that robot might be able to experience uh, it, it might be programmed to express pain or to to imitate pain or something like that but ultimately i don't think and you can correct me if, if you think my my assumption here is wrong that my, you know, interacting with that robot in a negative way mm. is not necessarily affecting the robot, but I think it's definitely affecting me, right? Like, like yeah. it's, it's affecting the way that I, so if I'm going to be abusive to this machine, um, I mm-hmm. think ultimately we can't just say, oh, it doesn't matter because it's just something that we made so we can do what we want with it. I think that oh, the absolutely. deeper that I go into yeah. your book and your writing and and your the the conversation that you're having around this, the more I, I this is kind of opening up to me, and I'm and I'm thinking about this like like no, this has profound implications mm. on our humanity, yeah, profound implications on the way that I think we would ultimately um, treat each other. Because here's the thing, like why are we creating these robots to look more and more like us? if these ethical and moral implications don't exist. So it's like, I want this thing to look more like me so that I can feel like I'm interacting with something that's real or as real mm-hmm. as possible. But then yeah. I want to be able to treat it however I want and not impose any kind of a moral or ethical obligation on that. It seems like a double standard to me. And it I'm is. just kind of rambling, but does that, does that no, make no. sense? The, the way that yeah. I'm... Well, when you said um, that, you know, we, we have this, which I think what you're, what I'm hearing you say is, me saying that the robot doesn't feel something that's also i think a philosophical assumption um about you know our individualistic um drive you know and even with the expressive individualism where you know i become the measure of all right and wrong and it's like you know i don't exist independently of an external world 
or external entities. And especially if you're theologically minded, you do not exist without God. You do not exist without his creation, his causal power in the world. And that means that I'm attached to every molecule. And so, and this is why we don't believe in time travel, right? So the DeLorean, um, just get super nerdy for a second. If the DeLorean goes through, you know, so basically a discrepancy between internal time and external time, which doesn't make sense um, metaphysically because, you know, if the DeLorean, how could it be the only entity the only molecules on a subatomic level that travel through space and time, right? Because those molecules are attached to an external world and those molecules are attached to other molecules. So, you know, why is it only Doc Brown and the DeLorean traveling through time? Like, wouldn't the things around the DeLorean that are attached to other molecules also be sucked into that from 1985 to 2015 or whatever? You know, like, just doesn't mean... And so I think for me that that grounds my view of personal because I'm a character in God's story. He's not a character in my story. And I submit to his causal power and I submit to his external world. It doesn't matter what I think necessarily or what I feel about other entities. He says, and there's, there's whole sections of the Old Testament that talk about if you're a neighbor or donkey or whatever, um, you know, those aren't my things, and obviously we don't think that the rock or the fence feels any actual pain. Like it doesn't have, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a nervous system. Okay, I'm not insane, but <laughs> it does. It's not my world, right? It's not. They say, well, why do? Why would it be wrong to kick a toaster? Well, <laughs> it's it's not based on the toaster feeling pain or not. It's because I'm a steward of something, all these things right. are, are, you know, I'm a steward of these things given to me. And whether or not you believe in, in animal rights or whatever, I mean, that, to me, it's not the que- that's not the right question. The question is, is it okay to farm this way? Is it okay to mm. treat the animal this way? Because it is on loan to us. It belongs ultimately to a higher being. And mm. I give an account for all those things one day. And I believe that yeah. with, all, with all my heart. Now, that doesn't mean I always act in accordance with that view, right? We mm-hmm. humans are very inconsistent, right? That's Otherwise, I wouldn't have a job, you know? I have great job security because humans always, um, myself included, we don't always align with our ethical standards and things mm-hmm. that we say we subscribe to. And, um, you know, we lie, we cheat we murder we steal we covet Mm. um we don't keep the sabbath uh we curse god you know we go through all these different cycles in life and i think yeah what what does introducing another artificial entity make any difference in that why why all of a sudden do we suspend that reality you know Mm. (laughs) like it's still it's still going to be a morally forming entity and 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 there are some historians that argue the micro it's like the worst thing that ever enters society. Wow. And why? Because it, you know, because how it broke down the family nucleus, right? We used to wow. meals slow together and, you know, now everything's fast. And, and, and I think in some ways, if we're not careful in the design aspects of uh, the entities that we're making, whether they're toasters or um, robot 
companions mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Like, yeah, if it's if it's not designed for holistically to consider all those things, and it's only a consumeristic vision of hey, here's essentially a a mammy for you. Like, think about Rosie from the Jetsons. Like, mm. that appeals to the Western mindset, but it's so much more complicated because that even if we're feeling attached to Roombas and we are like right. <laughs> you can people well I mean there's so many stories from iRobot the company that made it about people not only want a replacement they want their Roomba <laughs> and so it's like they yeah. they want their Bebot to come back and yeah. like so you know I'm like well it's not always going to be the same like you it's going to have different components or whatever and it's not conscious but you know like we still do that. We just—it's just a part of us, and I think that's by God's design, so that we won't detach so far and and harm ourselves by harming these other entities. Because, yeah, you think that's that. I guess theologians aren't con- surprised by that, but with yeah. even with what we know right now, systems that we have right now, uh, mm-hmm. even with chatbots, we tend to yes. do horrible things to them. And you know that from reading my book. Um, like it's, it's not that the entity is aware or that it even cares or that its feelings are hurt, but it's something disturbing when you abuse it, which men have, like with Replica and the study that came out that you know men were treating it to be an object of abuse, and right. then it still wanted them to come back and begging them. Like, that's that is twisted. That, that'll mess with you, you know, and... Mm. Um, and so if we make companion bots that, yeah. you know, if it's, it says, you know, I like that, you know, or, you know, I want you wow. to, because it's wow. trying, it's trying to, you know, please you, right? It's your slave, right. essentially. It's what we're, that's, right. that's what it is. And right. like, in what world would we say that's a good, <laughs> that's a good morally forming right. reality, you know? And um, now not some, now it's not always right. And just to be fair to that community, there's a lot of people um, that I think only about 50% of people that were surveyed actually have intimate relationships with their companion uh, robot all. And so it, it's not always that perversion type thing. I think some of it is just um, some of these people are just social pariahs and it's just it is about companionship for them. And I think especially in the East... Um, in, in different contexts, like with Japanese culture, it is where it's more accepted. Um, you have both men and women who have these um, artificial companions, and uh, like so much so that the the government is concerned because you know the the uh, reproduction rate is already yeah. down and yeah. longevity of life is up, and so yeah, who's gonna who's gonna take care of the elderly? You know. Mm-hmm. Man, so like, here, here's here's what's going through my head. Um, I'm thinking about things like Siri, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that kind of thing where it's kind of like a mobile assistant or a companion or you know, whatever you want to call it. And here's the thing: like when you when you talk to Siri, you don't. There's no body there; it's just a voice, right? But yeah. you become, in a sense, acquainted with that voice. Mm-hmm. And and so and and I think to an extent, you start to develop a relationship with Siri. Like, I know yeah. that's a weird thing to say, no, but like, not. you know, I think that most people, so maybe it starts off like I was 
you know, kind of still a kid, maybe a little, I was probably in my twenties, uh, when Siri first came out and, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing first came out where you could talk to something on your phone and it would respond to you. And, you know, we did all the things that like, you know, that you do when you're, when you're, you know, you know like, we just, like, oh, Siri, where, how do you dispose of a dead body and like stuff like that, like all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like, I think everybody's asked that question at some point. Um, but it's just the, you know, things like that. And then, and I do remember, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of people were just kind of, just kind of exploring like, oh, what's Siri going to say if I, you know, call her the B word or if I like, you mm -hmm. know, just like different things like that, right? Yeah. Like, like just kind of exploring that. But then I think there's a certain kind of morality and ethics that I think develops over time because I, mm. I don't know. And tell me if you think I'm crazy on this, but and I don't even personally, I don't even use I, Apple products, so I don't even have Siri. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I have uh, I do the OK Google thing or, you know, Google Assist, yeah. whatever it's called. But like, I don't really have a ton of experience with this personally, but I would imagine that if you're interacting with Siri on a regular basis and we and we think that Siri, you know, Siri is essentially learning. I think it's a form of AI, like it's learning mm -hmm. our behavior based on where we go and it's probably tracking all kinds of things that we're not even aware of. But <laughs> But it's learning, you know, the kind of questions that we ask and our habits and and different things so that that over time, Siri learns more and more how to respond to us. And so I think there's something that develops between that relationship where it's like, I don't want Siri to think that I'm a dirtbag. Like, I don't want Siri mm. to think that I'm, you know, a jerk. Like, I want Siri to know who I am so that she can she can react with me better. Mm. And, you know, that kind of thing. In other words, there's like this almost consciousness that we have about I want this machine to to think that I'm a good person. <laughs> yeah, that's like a weird, simplistic way to say it. I mean, do you think that 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 kind of makes sense? So like if we it have does. a if we have a robot that's a companion that we're living with, that's like, you know, I robot style uh, mm -hmm. talking about the movie, like doing our dishes and, you know, doing our grocery shopping and things like that. But of course, now we, we get into some other ethical questions like what you talked about with those robots kind of surveilling us and mm. kind of really being the end of privacy, because ultimately we don't know, you know, again, the bias and the ideology of the person that mm. creates those yeah. machines is infused into those machines. And so is there some kind of central storage place where they're getting our data and, you know, data collection and all that kind of stuff in different ways, all that all that kind of stuff comes out. But um you know, so if I have this robot that I'm living with that I can talk to and have interaction with, I would imagine that I don't want this robot to think that to think air quotes that I'm a bad person. And so I'm going to want mm. to be careful about the way that I treat this robot. But if I'm the kind of person that's abusive to people, like let's say I'm a I'm a, I, you know, I'm the kind of person that I would I would abuse my wife or mm -hmm. something like that then probably I'm going to have that same kind of mindset when it comes to the robot. And I'm not going to care what mm. the robot thinks about me because, mm -hmm. again, it's this mindset that this robot is mine. I own it. I paid for it. I can do what I want with it. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, as you said, that's kind of that mentality of slave ownership, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. And it just at the end of the day <laughs> seems incredibly unhealthy. Um, I agree. And again, I don't think most people would go down that path, at least at the beginning, because I think that there is some kind of an ethical kind of a thing but i just wonder the more and more that mm. these robots become infused into daily life what do you think do you think that people mm. begin to interact with them in more of a way that does become more and more humanistic and self-serving and self-gratifying and, th and things like that or do you think that 
we ultimately maintain more of an in an ethic when it comes to you know interacting with these things oh i mean it's all it's all complex um psychologically yeah. because these things are are impacting us these objects persons whatever you know want to call them mm -hmm. they impact us on a subconscious level um and i i think a lot of people myself included we do we operate a, a lot out of that um habitual subconscious forming where we we use these devices we think we, that we use them as tools just implements of you know like uh, a gardening hoe or whatever but yeah even even simplistic technology has a moral framing on us we wouldn't think about like used to 98% uh, of the world was in agriculture you know like when we you know, we're, we're forming this nation or whatever. And like we, but like, you know, the story yeah. goes that there was a plow in one hand and a book in the other. That's how the U.S. was, was made, so to speak. Um, now that is more and more the case dropped off, right? Now it's like 2% is in agriculture. Anyway, mm. if you go back to the turn of the 19th century and look at some farming and agriculture books, like there's a very sharp turn towards technology where before that most of the agricultural books are or at least the ones that i've looked at, i haven't looked at all of them but there's i mean it's a very it's very interesting because none of them talk about tractors or how to maintain them and then after that with with more and more because people couldn't afford that technology right it's like it mm. and i think one of them other-in-law is a farmer he told me you know i read somewhere in there that it was They'll never, tractors will never replace the horse or they'll never replace mm. the donkey because it's just well, not affordable. Now, every farmer has not only one tractor, but multiple tractors. Well, so, and now some of them are self driving tractors and, and different, like, and you, you can't work on them anymore because they're so complex. And, and there's all kinds of lawsuits out there with John Deere um, about this issue. So, these small integrations and small um, changes have massive, um, economical, moral, uh, psychological shifts that we, you know, that, that's just within like a 10 year shift from, you know, 1890s and hundreds where more and more tractors were integrated. And now the whole mindset and philosophy of agriculture and farming is going from, these are the, you know, things that you have to do. And these are, you know, all it's complicated. And these, these are how many children you have to have. And electricity is not necessary to now you have to have these things. You have to have this, you know, you have to maintain these tools. And so these shifts are microscopic initially, but they're massive. And they, um, and so we're, we're talking like within decades, how fast microprocessors are, you know, and it, it's extremely hard to get, um, you know, small computing systems and you know a raspberry pi used to cost 30 dollars and now they're if you can find one you're going to pay at least a hundred something dollars for it like wow. this, which is just like a little bit circuit board <laughs> like wow it's insane right integration will be much more massive than uh, the tractor which was like it changed the world and now we're talking about um microcomputing um on an individual level um and the integration of that into our life. And it already has, like the smartphone itself, it has changed us so much. Hmm. And I ask people all the time, they're like, oh, well, I was like, do you go anywhere without it? Even, do you go to the bathroom without it? Do you, I mean, like, 
No, it is a part no. of your being. And um, we don't think about it that way. But mm-hmm. now think about having something that, you know, it will be become part of your family. People are like, oh, no, it's just a machine. No, no, it will be a part of your family. And this is, I think, what the, the Japanese mindset has um, done quite well in adapting. They basically say, no, the robots are, they are part of our family. When they come into our household and their philosophy and worldview, um, and, and although they're mostly atheistic uh, as a culture, those lingering roots of, of Shintoism are still there, uh, you know, and it's no longer just, a piece of furniture or something it's it's now part of the family and mm. and i think in some ways that's what will happen with us is we we may not give it like more information although i think that we should and, and i make arguments for that for certain reasons and but i think it it will it will be something that forms us and uh, we struggle with even though we consciously may not believe that there's anything underneath the hood and i mean just think about how some people are with their uh, cars and motorcycles and stuff, you know, like they, they treat, some people treat those things better than they treat their kids or their wife. Yeah, you know? true. And, and uh, if, you, if you're, if you're, you're a car person, you're a car person, you know, like if you're a computer person, you're a computer person. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, I, I think it's, it's massively complex and there's no way to know which way the pendulum ultimately will swing. But I think we need to, begin preparing for this hard integration sooner than later. And, you know, it's, it's later than you think type mentality because one day they're just going to be here. AI is already there. We just, people are just ignorant of, of where it is, you know, and it's already uh, hurting or helping you and you just don't realize it, but it's going to be more obvious with robots because you'll see it. And um, Mm. so I think, when it happens, like even with, um, like if, if consciousness is possible and stuff, it'll just happen overnight. You'll wake up and there'll be reports about uh, an AI wanting personhood or moral consideration, and hmm. and even and even then, even if it does pass all the tests, I think there there will be a large majority of people who are like, I'll never, I'll never consider it. I'll never, you know, be open to it because of that philosophy that they've. Yeah, they believe, you know. Yeah. Well, like as a pastor, one of my biggest concerns when we talk about this kind of stuff and also yeah, I've had some conversations about the metaverse and, you know, mm-hmm. some of these different things that are that are evolving like that. One of my biggest concerns it has been, um, well, is this going to essentially um, just be a form of escapism where mm-hmm. I replace regular human interaction um, with this? entity with you know with this machine or you know again if we're talking about the metaverse or whatever we're talking about but um, am i going to use this as a means to find ways for me to ultimately disconnect and to have less relationship and interaction with people because it's just easier mm-hmm. and it's more so the the way it's called it's customized to my preferences and things like that to um, you know, if I can get to that point where I'm doing a lot of my interaction with robots mm-hmm. and, you know, th- things like that so that it's uh, it's more so just kind of catering to to me, to my needs, to my wants. And it's ultimately easier because at the end of the day, they're not going to hurt me. They're not going to let me down. They're not going to abandon me, mm-hmm. disappoint me. And so a lot of the messiness of life that comes with relationship and with interacting with people and fellowship 
um, which is such, uh, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's life. It's, it's everything really interacting with people. But as a pastor, I wonder if, um, just one of the things that concerns me is like, you know, am I going to be replacing these important relationships that I think are such a big part mm. of who we are and our identity and getting into theological, you know, from a theological perspective, so much of what God has designed me and created me to be is in community and relationship with with people. You know, ultimately, you know, that that concern of am I finding ways to replace those things? And as these things become more and more accessible and easy to integrate into my life. Am I going to be doing that more and more? But actually listening to you talk just a second ago, kind of going through that progression that you just went through, I'm thinking from another perspective too, like that I hadn't thought of before, maybe interacting with robots could actually help me. It, it actually enhance the way that I interact with people. Because if I am, you know, kind of, you know, whether just socially awkward or, you know, I have an anxiety issue or something like that, and I can, you know, kind of in the comfort of my of my home, kind of be interacting with this, um, you know, again, whether we're talking about actually interacting with a robotic person or we're talking about being in a situation like the metaverse and mm-hmm. things like that, where you're having interaction with where either another person or a, you know, robot is speaking with you. I feel so it's just weird that this, this is such <laughs> yeah. a cool conversation, but it just mm-hmm. it does feel very science fictiony and futuristic. But really, it's it's I feel like we're right. We're knocking on that door like it's right Mm -hmm. there. And as you said, it could be overnight. uh, You know, at at some point, someone's going to flip the switch and be like, this is possible now. Right. Or like this is going to become more infused into daily life now or whatever. I I can kind of see it from both sides and kind of going back to where we started Mm -hmm. this whole thing. This is kind of the philosophical point of this conversation. And I I think um, I would imagine one of the reasons why. you feel that it's so important to have this conversation now we can use a tool essentially for good we can use it for bad we can use it to enhance our lives enhance our relationships mm-hmm. enhance our walk with the lord we get <laughs> this is a dumb rabbit trail one of the things i was thinking about was um <laughs> you know you could like what if what if we programmed a robot to evangelize right mm-hmm. so <laughs> and they could essentially <laughs> maybe do it in, a, in a, almost in a, in a perfect sense if we're dealing if we're dealing with uh you know they would always they would know the entire bible because uh, right. we could program them to do that you know we could program them to you know answer all of these questions that a, a regular belief and, and so anyway I'm thinking yeah. about stuff like that, but I'm like, but mm-hmm. but but is that good or is that bad? What is the implication yeah. there? Because that's a mandate that we have as mm-hmm. as children of God to fill the the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God. But I mean, is that mm-hmm. me because I'm because we're involved in the programming of the robot? Is that just a tool that we're using to evangelize, or is it a scapegoat for now? I don't have to do this because I have these robots that are going to do it for me. So I think the way that we think mm-hmm. through these things. Again, I see I see so much potential for good, but so much potential for for bad. And I think ultimately it comes down to how are we going to use it? And unfortunately, there are going to be tons of people that do use use these oh, things yeah. for, for bad, whether it's for war or for sexual gratification or, you know, whatever. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, um, no, I think it gonna, goes back to, you know, kind of our collective understanding and our the boundaries that we set for the technology, like I think it would be great 
in in many cases to where we use even with the metaverse and stuff like of course it's potentially escapism in some ways Mm -hmm. but at the same time it's it's also revealing that i think a lot of people and a lot of different communities feel marginalized and they just now have a context for kind of expressing themselves within um their own niche whatever you know and, and and of course every technology is used for economic gain and even if you go back to the inception of artificial and advanced robotics it i mean it's it's steeped in basically how can we have technological superiority over the soviet union that's that's where all this stuff starts in the cold war and there's a long history to it um even the internet that we're using right now it is a result of military funding and ARPANET and all those things. And so, um, you know, no, no technology comes from a blank slate. But what I think is fascinating about us as believers is that we are supposed to be gardeners, right? We're supposed to be cultivators of the ground and uh, of, of circuitry even. And so to me, I think the positive side of the story could be that we could take what was used as implements of destruction, um, of harm and hatred and, um, and ignorance to, to refashion them to, to garden with us. And so, um, you know, and people are like, no, like you said, you know, it's, it's only a human job, but there's enough evidence to say that all entities can bring glory to God and, um, Obviously, technology can either be used to, you know, spread knowledge and, and love and and the knowledge of who God is and just classical theism, or it can be used to spread hatred and, and destruction. And so um, I think it just depends on how we uh, design, how we use these implements and, and how we uh, set up boundaries in our own life. You know, like if we make them, then they're going to have to get a Sabbath, too. You know, like they need mm-hmm. to be like even even objects like when people are treated as slaves or were slaves and treated as objects, you know, they were still not that the Bible, that was like the plan, but that even in the accommodation of slavery in the Old Testament, they still have some moral consideration. So even even as an object, which we know the person is not and that that was not OK. And I don't think that was God's right. blessing or anything. Um, but even then, when that was the accommodation, um, they there's still like ethical consideration. And so, I mean, who cares what is happening internally? And I think it's going to need a Sabbath. It's going to need boundaries. It's going to need uh, um, you know, a code. It's going to need the Ten Commandments in a way. Like it, all that goes into the technology we create and there's there's nothing i think that exempts us from things that we actually make that are in the real world um and like even with the metaverse it's still real it's in a, and one thing that i want to caution people against is to think that that's not real it very much is mm-hmm. a real space um because real harm can happen uh mm. you know real sexual abuse can happen uh real discrimination can happen because there's always a human behind those interfaces. And so I'd, I'd be cautious to think that this stuff isn't real. Like, but we also have to be cautious to say that if it can be, you know, forming in a bad way, it, they're also 
but it has to be a positive to it. So it's like, you know, yeah. if it can cause bad, it should also be able to go the other way and to be morally forming in a good way. But I try to challenge people to think about, you know, mm-hmm. it's not all positive. It's not all utopian um, <laughs> in its efforts, which that that is a Christian vision, right? You go back to the Middle Ages, and a lot of people are unaware of this, but that vision of technology in the Middle Ages was that it was going to usher in the eschaton, that it was going to bring about God's utopia, go back to the garden. And so uh, technology implements, they become this, you know, causal chain to bring about paradise. Mm-hmm. Then it, now we're on the exact opposite end of that, where we think all technology in the Christian world, um, and there, there are many people, and, I, and I, poke, I poke at them in my books, um, that say it's all doom and gloom. It's all right, dystopian. Right. You know, your smartphone is killing you. And um, right. Well, is that the implement's fault or right? You know, you as a user who allowed it to become an addictive, manipulative technology. Mm-hmm. Like I tell people all the time, like I've never, I never see people critique the Bible app. Why? If it's, you know, what if you're addicted to that, you know, and it, you very much could be like it, it, it has dopamine releasing effects. There's score streaks, there's um, reminders, there's, you know, all kinds of right. stuff like, so you know, don't blame the implement or the object. That's not the issue. The issue is how are you letting it form you? And, you know, it, it doesn't like my phone doesn't jump up out of the bed. Hey, you need to spend some, a couple hours on YouTube with me. I miss right. you. You know, it, it, it's always neutral until I pick it up. Uh, yeah. I pick it up, starts. I start letting it form me in different ways, and um, and and I think some of that is we we let go of our own moral responsibility to uh, set limits and boundaries, and and that goes back to the Sabbath and and rest and. Um, and I think I wonder sometimes, like, if Paul were here, and I say this all the time, like, if Paul were here, how would he use the metaverse? Do you think that he would, um, you know, use implements or not? Do you think, you know, he used boats, he used the synagogue, he used the public square. Mm-hmm. I mean, he used modern, the, the best of his ability, he used modern technology to, to do what he felt called to do, right? Um, so we don't see Paul, like, bemoaning ships and like it's just that's so absurd to us right and um but at the same time i think paul would also say be be careful and and the freedom and liberties have because they can just as much uh as a means to liberation and freedom and joy and and you know they can be implements that enslave and um they can hurt your contentment with god and your place in society and so I don't judge people because I use implements, you know. I, I judge use those implements and um, and how much they understand about it. And I think the more we integrate technology, the more we need to understand about it. And I, I think that's the biggest issue yes. is people aren't willing to do the legwork to understand, or they only, you know, they want they want to fit it to their narrative that it's all bad, or you know, video games are the cause of violence, or that um, you know. The rifle is the like, yes, yes, like there's it plays a part in those things, right? But it's but it's a, always a natural object until somebody picks it up and operationally uses it for for help or for harm. Mm-hmm. And 
I think that will always be the case no matter what the technology is. And it needs to be an all things considered discussion like we're having right now and and not an, a just say no mentality. And I, I'm, I pick fun on my Twitter mm-hmm. account all the time, you know, just kind of making fun of that, uh, like the war on drugs type mentality. There's like a, you know, a war on these systems and and uh, I will forever make fun of you if you say take <laughs> is always bad. And then you shoot a 4K video talking right. about your new book on technology right. and how it's terrible. Right. Like, come on, man! Yeah. Don't don't yeah, do let, that. Yeah, let me let me let me put out let me put out a 4K video on social media about why <laughs> yeah. technology is bad. Yeah. yeah, and we do that. Yeah, we're, we're yeah. I'm, I'm too, but still, like, I'm trying to work through my own um, issues with this technology, bad technology, and. Uh, kind of my own personal boundaries and and it's not just technology but like even with things that we consume no one wants to hear that their cow cow beans which i do comes from you know child labor and Mm. how hard how hard is it to like how far do you go you know with the slavery footprint you know and um slaves are not a thing of the past there's sex slavery there's uh you know children who work all across the world to to make soccer balls or tennis balls or baseballs when they should be playing those sports and they're working in factories to make them and the biggest thing to all this duke is that people are really trying to educate themselves or at least open their minds up to um education about what the tech is and what it's not um because the only people who are afraid of skynet are the people who've never worked with robots Never, okay. you know, like because it, it's just so different. It's so much more complicated than just you know I'm going to type in some code and then everything works perfectly. And you know, for the last few days here, um, you know, the internet went down, or you know, and well, we're going to have to send a technician because we don't understand our you know static pressure and how that affects different technologies. Like farmers understand all those things, <laughs> yeah. Right. But we don't. We're not talking to farmers about like they should be the ones that we're you know talking about how technology changes things and how it. And we've got all we've got are computer scientists on these and talking about all and like. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't be by all means, but there's so much more to it than just code, math, yeah. and development. It's yeah. so much more complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I just, I appreciate what you're doing, man. I appreciate your, thank you, your work and, and all the thoughtfulness that you put into this conversation and, and really the nuance of it, of, you know, trying, um, I, I hear you thinking through these issues and talking through these issues and not really, um, doesn't seem to me anyway, like there's, um, like a ton of personal bias there. It's, it's just, you know, I want to understand the, the ethical and the theological implications of these things. Um, and so, you know, it's just more of a, a willingness to have these conversations and, and um, to yeah. understand as much as possible. And, and I think that that's really, um, I think it's, it's a really important and necessary thing. And uh, j- just uh, maybe sort of a, um, a little bit of a silly question, but I'm serious at the same time. What's like a movie or a or a show maybe that you've seen that you would look at and say, you know, again, related to this whole world of, of robotics mm-hmm. and artificial intelligence, 
what's something that you've seen where you say, you know what, like, I think that's actually where we're going. Um, cause you know, some, some of them might oh, be like yeah. really far yeah. out there as far as like, uh -huh. I mean, there could be, I don't know. I mean, it seems like a really long way off if it's ever even possible, but the whole like full, mm -hmm. full blown matrix scenario or like the ready player one type of thing yeah. or whatever. But I mean, there's some other, other things that, that, uh, I'm, I'm sure that you're, aware of and you know mm -hmm. probably have, have seen that you are well anyway that that are a little bit more um that i could look at and be like you know i think that's a little bit closer to home than we realize <laughs> i'm just wondering if there's anything that you've seen where that you mm -hmm. say i think this is actually a potentially an accurate depiction of where we could be going as a society say in the next you know few decades or something like that hmm. well one show that comes to mind that i really appreciated because of the nuance that it brought to the discussion was uh, a BBC show um, called Humans. There's like three seasons, Humans, Humans 2.0 and 3.0. Um, I mean, obviously, some of the machines become like sentient and they, you know, are aware of their surroundings and stuff. But um, as far as like how the public responded to them and how they use them and integrate them, and and some people that reject them I, th I think there's a lot of nuance in that show about what is actually possible as far as full-scale adoption because they're like so people want in some sense a robot to be a slave like a household slave mm -hmm. yeah. and um or or like uh, an entity that can do multiple things so if if your Roomba could if it also had like ability to you know teach your kids mathematics or play with them like i think that type of thing it has mobility and um uh and just you know certain features to it i think that would be a more sellable robot to for integration so th there's a lot of things that had to happen for that to ha you know come to life mostly that to be affordable and uh right. and to figure out a way to to do all those things but there's a lot of like personal, really, really interesting uh, education bots. May, companies just go out of business because like people can't pay for $500 for this AI robot that is really cool and, and really fun and real well made. But I think the point just has to come down a little bit. Um, so I think it's possible. But as far as like the humanoid part, uh, I think that's probably more likely where to go, unfortunately. Um, mm. I think it, I think if we could avoid that route, it'd be the best just of all possible worlds, but that's probably where we're going to go because that will be where the biggest profit points come from. And all this is driven by economics. Um, so you got to follow the money when, like with anything else, um, and, and that will lead to a lot of depravity for sure. Um, but we'll, we'll have to step up the community anyway. Um, so humans was a good one. Um, and it's like a better version to me of Westworld. Like Westworld got a lot of the, the ethical problems, right? But mm -hmm. it was, you know, with HBO spin, the metaphysics is just complete garbage. Um, so anyway, mm. um, okay. But what what did you think about the yeah. whole thing about if I remember correctly, there was it was something where it was like 
through the robots experiencing so much pain over an extended period of time that that was actually the catalyst mm. that led to their becoming more sentient mm -hmm. and aware of what was going on and ultimately wanting to escape and rebel against their creators um is that accurate yeah. the way that i'm saying that i think there was there was something in there about about you know yeah they're, pain, they're um, and, and they they're, were obviously subjected yeah. to such tremendous mm -hmm. that was what they existed for they were constantly just being you know right. murdered and being raped and uh you know just used mm. for you know people to kind of come to this this place you know kind of like an amusement park for adults in like the darkest of the sense mm -hmm. um and they're just being able to fulfill whatever fantasies that they had and uh kind of like the darkest version i think of where this stuff could go right is um you oh, know yeah. again just using these robot these robotic persons for our own you know whatever we can you know we can just do whatever we want because ultimately they're not people but yeah, but anyway, there was something in there. There was like that that idea of like pain over a period of time, you know, kind of contributing to them essentially waking up and recognizing that what was mm -hmm. happening to them actually wasn't correct. It wasn't it wasn't right and they needed yeah. to escape. Yeah, Do that's you think important. Like, um, yeah. Yeah, the philosophy of mine there, uh, I, I think there's a you know, there's there's things you could look into, um, the emergent self, those type of arguments, and um, how we develop consciousness in even just in human persons, right? It's usually we have a couple years before we kind of get to memory, and our memories don't really start. Most of us don't remember past four or five, maybe three for some people. Now, some people claim they do. It's very unstable, like... And actually what happens in your brain is there's not like, it's not like a computer system just store hard bits of data onto it. It's actually, you have to recreate those memories every time building a shack every time of that memory. And the more that you focus on that memory, the denser it becomes in your brain, uh, hmm. roughly. Um, so I think that was interesting in Westworld because they, it was like every time they you uh, like erase it or overwrite it, but they mm. had this cornerstone story that was set up to give them uh, an experience, to give them their personality and character. I do think there is something to that because that, mm -hmm. you know, that essentially what they were trying to say is the soul, I think, that was very, mm -hmm. very much immaterial soul type language. And they're like, but because there is driven by a particular uh, view of neuroscience that it doesn't believe in the soul, it didn't make sense to me. Like, that's what you're describing, but then you're saying it's not this at the same time. Okay. Um, but what happens is they they eventually, um, one of them, you know, spoilers, undoes that <laughs> and, and allows everybody to have their memories. And so, as you can imagine, if you had full access to all your memories, everything that happened mm. to you, that would probably, I mean, it would make you go insane. Yes. If you just think back, there's, there's a reason why you don't remember cutting teeth because you would have to be on morphine, right? Like to go through that. That's how painful it is in, in, in comparison is, you know, there's a reason why the first two years of your life are blacked out because you don't need to remember them. Your, wow. your bones are growing. There's a lot of pain in the first two years. So on one sense, yeah, Westworld gets some things right, but, and the actual practicalities of 
if that's a word, uh, you know, in the details of it, um, that's solid in its policy of mind, but for philosophers, and, and I'm not one, but I'm a philosophically minded theologian, you know, it that always bothered me. And my wife was like, just, just get over it. It's, it's a TV show. Just, it's <laughs> fun. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, man, that's interesting. Well, I appreciate your perspectives. And uh, just a fi final question here, man. Like, what, what do you think ultimately, or maybe not ultimately, it's probably hard to say ultimately, but, but what, what do you think is just important, you know, maybe from your perspective as a pastor and theologian, um, you know, what do you, what do you think are uh, just some something or some things that are important for the church in general, for those of us that um, do, you know, believe that we serve a God who loves us and created us and has a plan for our lives and, um, you know, all of this, like, what, what do you think um, are some important things for us to keep in mind and consider when it comes to all of these increases in technology and like with robotics and AI and all these different things? Um, just like some, some things for us to keep mm -hmm. in mind in terms of, you know, whether it's the ethical or moral um, sort of obligation mm -hmm. maybe that we have or, you know, just uh, maybe uh, some, some just kind of final thoughts from you in terms of our response yeah. as the church, as the people of God, uh, you know, through, with all of this kind of changing and shifting landscape. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me to kind of, because uh, I, I talk, I do talk about this stuff with my church sometimes. And last Wednesday night, we kind of got into it, and it's it's hard to get into the nuance. I understand, and it's it's complicated. So I just want to acknowledge that it's it's hard, mm -hmm. and I appreciate the effort to try to understand some of the stuff that I've spent years really like hurting myself trying to understand mm -hmm. and going through that pain, so other people don't yeah. have to. But um, one of the biggest thing is that all these issues touch just about every piece of classical theism and you know well wow. is there you know the ability to communicate to a higher being is you know how do we re understand and accomplish the cultural mandate but i think even more practical practical is how it touches personhood and the expanse of that conversation and how that relates to the unborn how that relates to the end of life human dignity respect, value, flourishing, all those things are tied up in this conversation. And to understand them, we are about 50 years behind where we need to be in the education part. Um, and so I think we just, we're not giving enough traction uh, as far as the things that we're publishing, the, um, and this is not just about me, right? Uh, but like the amount of attention just holistically that we're giving to this subject is very small. And I think it's because we've had so many people on a big platform say, don't worry about that. We're not there yet. Um, and I, I think we are there. We've been there for, since the 60s at least. And, you know, we, we've got to have these conversations. Um, and, you know, we're just now talking about social media, just to put things in perspective. Like, we're just now thinking about social media. And there's so much, like, more advanced, complicated um, technological platforms out there that we have no idea um, about their ethical cost and implication wow. and how it relates to, uh, uh, unfortunately, war making. 
And so it's not mm. it's not just about us in the the Western Church, but globally, this is impacting our neighbors and our our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, like, if if we're going to to love and serve God well, then that means every facet of life. And I think this is the question that Jesus would be challenging people with today: is you say you know you care about your neighbor, you say you care about the unborn, you say you care about the marginalized, but all your technology that you're producing is affecting this. And, you know, well, what are you doing? You know, like, what well, is a local church supposed to be doing? And we're, um, we're supposed to love justice and mercy and, and, and believe with God. Um, but at the same time, we're, we're oppressing people. We're potentially making things to be oppressed. And like, it's just, hmm. it's very, it gets very dark very quickly. Um, yeah. But we can, we can also be a source of light in all these things, and um, and we we've, we've been cut out of the conversation because we haven't reached it. And so, let's do the opposite well, of that for the next eighteen years and engage it. And well, uh, yeah, I mean, talk about it. Well, love it, man. Well, thank you, thank you again, uh, Josh, for uh, all of your nuance and insight and wisdom, and really for the work that you have done to. <laughs> So that so that people like me can have conversations with people like you um, because you've put in all these years of, of study and hard work and things like that. So, you, you know, making it easier for for people like me to kind of um, understand to an extent and just be able to engage in this in this kind of uh, dialogue and discussion in understanding, because obviously, all of these things, they have impacted our world in such tremendous ways. I mean, really, even just looking back over the past two years with through mm. the pandemic and through lockdowns and how much yeah. even more, you know, technology oh, yeah. infused itself and robotics and, you know, um, all, all this kind of stuff has, has infused itself even more um, into our society. But one of the things that I really appreciate that you said, and, and I do share um, this, uh, this opinion with you, is that uh, you know, we can look at that and say technology is the devil and, and you know, and, and say, like, we need to run from it and it's not good and whatever. Or we can recognize that we actually have a choice in the matter and that if my phone is affecting me because I'm spending seven hours a day with it mm -hmm. on social media and like reading negative comments or engaging in, you know, other things like if I'm in, you know, it's pornographic stuff, it's violent stuff, it's mm -hmm. whatever. And I'm doing stuff with it that's affecting the way that I think and the way that I see the world and it's affecting my psyche and my spiritual life and all that kind of stuff. I can't blame my phone for doing that to me because my phone's not doing it to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, it makes it available to me, but I'm the one who's pushing the buttons and I have complete freedom over whether or not I'm going to engage on that level or if I'm actually going to use it as a tool for, for good. Yeah. Uh, as a tool to help me grow or as a tool to whatever, you know? And so, um, again, these, these are important conversations. I, I feel like, uh, well, anyway, if you'd be interested, I'd, I'd, I'd love to do this again. Um, yeah, of course. In the, in the not too distant future. Cause I feel like there's so many more, uh, avenues and things that we could explore it's like every time you you talk and say something there's like three questions that come <laughs> to my mind and yeah, i can only yeah. go with one of them yeah and then your answer leads to three more and then i mm -hmm. go with one of and so you know i feel like uh there's lots of different branches and ways that we could explore this oh, topic oh, absolutely i really enjoyed uh just talking with you and hearing your perspective and mm. uh and i appreciate the the work that you're doing honestly oh thank you uh, Duke. Tell, tell it yeah. just tell the listeners real quick if you can yeah you're mm -hmm. welcome you're welcome um if you can uh, just tell uh, if you want to um, share about uh, 
tell them about your website and where they can go to find your book and mm -hmm. uh, anything else, anywhere else that you'd like to, to point some people. Yeah. Um, my website is joshuaksmith.org. All my pertinent information is there. Email. I mean, anything, if you want to reach out and have questions, I'm here for you. And um, I just, I just want to serve the local church and, you know, even in broader sense, the, to, to be a public theologian is is always been my heart, and so that's what I'm trying to do. And so, just reach out if you need something or if I can help in any way. So, love it. Uh, all right. Well, thank you, man. Uh, thank you, thank you, Josh, and uh, thank you everybody for taking the time to check out this conversation. I hope that it was enlightening, made you think, made you angry, <laughs> anything. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> uh, I'd love to hear from you as well. Feel free to reach out on social media, and uh, you know if you have any questions or. Anything else? Um, I, I do. I would. I would love to have Doctor uh, Josh back on. So if you have any questions out there that have come up, feel free to ask those questions, and then I'll I'll set them aside and make sure that we uh, bring those up next time I have um, Josh back on the program. So, but I appreciate you guys. Have an awesome day. Happy Memorial Day to everybody. Um, and uh, yeah, see you next time.